It's a little different today. Uh, several of our uh, folks are gone, and uh, that's okay. We're, we are doing well, and I sure appreciate Hannah and Naomi uh, leading us in those songs. And um, we're today, we're back in Genesis, and we're back, uh, we're in chapter 36. And uh, I, I want to begin by uh, being super honest with you. I almost just skipped this chapter uh, because it is a lot of names. And so I need to explain, we are going to look at this chapter. I am not going to look at every line in it in detail, but I'm going to explain why it's there and why it's important that it is there. Um, yes, and if it's time for a church for kids. So if you have little ones or you are a little one, uh, the ladies are back there ready to receive you. So uh, you can uh, head on back. Sorry about that. Thank you. Uh, once I got confused, I was really confused, which... Uh, Usually I live in a state of confusion. But anyhow, um, uh, so, but what I'm calling this sermon today is the kingdom of choices because it, it embodies, once again, the massive work that God is doing from beginning to the end. And uh, so that ought to be a hint of what's going on uh, in this chapter. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to read the chapter except just the opening line in it in verse 36 these are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau and Edom both mean red. Now, it is believed Esau was red-headed. Um, not all folks uh, uh, in the Middle East are dark-haired. Uh, some have red hair. David was called ruddy, which means red. We don't know if it was red hair. He, just, he was the youngest boy, and when he came running in from the field, his cheeks were red, but uh, something like that. And, uh, but Esau could have had... Was, and he was a hairy beast, by the way. Um, he, he had a lot of hair, and it was all red. But also the lentil soup that he gave to Jacob would have been a red color. And so Edom, his name red, became the name of the nation Edom that came from him. But many nations came from Esau, um, which you would see if we studied out this chapter. I'm telling you, he has 12 descendants. And there's a hint. His uncle Ishmael had 12 descendants, his great uncle, I guess. Um, and so did Jacob, and so did Abraham's brother. They all had 12, tri 12 in their tribes, which I'm not sure what to make of that, other than God is pointing something out to us. And then it says, Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, and then it goes off. He starts talking. So I'm going to stop right there. Because here's what I want you to catch today. I'm calling this a kingdom of choices. And that is that, that uh, there are a lot of choices that are made in these people's lives. There are a lot of choices made in our lives. And all these choices always have consequences. You can't say yes without saying no. And you shouldn't say no unless you decide to say no. But you shouldn't say yes unless you thought out and decide to say yes, no matter what it is. And so what I want you to take home with you today is that daily choices determine eternal consequences. Daily choices determine eternal consequences. There is no minor choice in our life. Um, there's an old poem I, I was taught it when I was a younger man that says... Um, a, a, a war was lost for lack of a battle, but the battle was lost for the lack of a rider, and the rider was lost for the lack of a horse, and the horse was lost for the lack of a shoe, and the shoe was lost for the lack of a nail, and so a war was lost for the lack of a nail. 
And that's just true. That's true in our life. Here's something of, of historical significance, but more than that, of kingdom historical consequence. November 19th, 1977. How many of y'all were alive? I was. I was 17 at that point. <clears throat> A descendant of Ishmael, representing the largest Ishmaelite nation in the world, stepped off of Boeing 707 onto Israeli soil at Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, Israel, and was received with a red carpet welcome, including a blare of trumpets and a 21-gun salute by the descendants of Isaac. Think about that for a second. On hand at Ben-Gurion Airport to greet Egyptian President Anwar Sadat were such dignitaries as Israel's Prime Minister Menachem Begin, former Prime Ministers Golda Meir and Yitzhak Rabin, and the military heroes of past Arab-Israeli wars, General Moshe Dayan and General Ariel Sharon. This historical event did capture the attention of the world at the time because all the major news networks sent representatives to the area. The jet carrying Anwar Sadat was filled with reporters and there was live television coverage. Uh, and, and, and they sent it by satellite as much as we had in 77 uh, to, uh, to all the world. And the news media caught the significance. Israel was making peace with Egypt. They had been at war. They'd been at war for a long time. And there's only one document in existence that gives a complete and accurate account of what's happening. And that's Genesis 36. That's why I decided to go on with it. But see, the world's rejected this news source. So they missed the significance of things like a descent of Ishmael getting off a plane and making peace with the descendants of Isaac. They get it, but they don't get it. There's something deeper every time. So let's pray. Lord, um, indeed, we thank you for this chapter in your word. We say it and we believe it. There's no unnecessary word in your word. It is necessary. It is good for us. And we just pray, Lord, that today you would show us a point out of this scripture, maybe the point of the whole thing, so that we would understand exactly what you're up to. Uh, Lord, so that we can order our lives and make our choices in accordance to your will and your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If I just did all the scriptures that could be associated with chapter 36, we would be in this for 12, 13, 15 hours straight. There's just so much in this chapter. And so uh, being a person that likes to give all the details, this makes this extremely difficult for me, okay? So, so when that doesn't happen, I back up and I'm just going to give you some very quick highlights. But I want you to understand what's happening. And what we're seeing is, first of all, this secular line. And I'm using that word loosely, and I'm also using it because it helps me alliterate the, the, the sermon. And by the way, all the passages that are in my notes will not be in the app until tomorrow because I didn't have it in time for that to happen. Uh, short story there. But, but when I use the word secular, I mean the non-chosen line. This is the descendants of Esau. Ishmael, we see back in Genesis 25, and we get a list of 
of some of his descendants, even though one of them appear in this chapter as well. But Ishmael in Genesis 25, and uh, if you want to flip back those few pages to that chapter, uh, we'll just take a quick peek at what it says about him there. Ishmael, we don't know as much about in Scripture, but he does come into play in this chapter. I'll show you that in just a second. But first, in 25, beginning in verse 12, uh, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael. And if I could pronounce them, they wouldn't mean anything. So um, look down to verse uh, 16. These are the sons of Ishmael. These are their names by their villages, by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kins, kinsmen. Those verses are important, and I'll tell you why a little bit later. So we see that, that God had made a promise to Ishmael. He made a promise to Abraham. Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you because he didn't think he was going to have any descendants. But he had Ishmael by Hagar. He said, no, Sarah. It's got to be Sarah. It's got to be you and Sarah. She's Egyptian, but don't worry. I will make him a great nation, which he does. Twelve sons he has, uh, and, and the others, twelve tribes come from Ishmael. But in this chapter, it is the story of Esau. And over and over in this part of Genesis, we see a word in Hebrew. Doesn't matter to you what it is, but it, it's telling us this is the story of Esau, is how it would say it. Um, and, and so these are the generations or the story of Esau. And notice he took wives from the tribes uh, or from the Canaanite people. So, and, and, and this goes from verse 1 to verse 37. However, it's in two groups. In the first group, down through verse 8, these are uh, uh, Esau's descendants um, in, in his first marriages, and then the rest are in later marriages from way outside. And they, but Esau, if you remember, gave away his birthright. Ishmael goes off. I told you, he went and he lived outside of the promised land. Nobody told him he had to do that. He took wives of Canaan. Nobody told him he had to do that. Those were two bad choices. Because he's a descendant of Abraham, he has a right to the land that Abraham, God promised Abraham. Right? To you and your descendants, right? Isn't that what God told Abraham? Right. So he didn't have to leave. He couldn't hang out in Sarah's tent, that's for sure. She's the reason he had to go. But he didn't have to go that far, but he did. And he took wives of the Canaanites instead of going back to mom's homeland uh, and, and getting out of those. His uncle had 12 families as well. So you're talking distant relatives as well. So he gave away his birthright in Genesis 25. You know that story. He comes in from hunting, been out all day. He forgot to take a bag of chips with him, and he is starving, okay? He's really, really hungry. And, and so he asked Jacob, hey, make me, give me some of that soup you're making. And he said, what do you give me for it? And he said, give it to him, die. He said, well, give me your birthright and I'll do it. And Esau says, what good's a birthright if I die? Sure, I'll give you my birthright, give me the soup. And he treats this birthright uh, very lightly. Now, we know this is all working out the will of God because God had already chosen Jacob to be the father of the tribes of Israel. 
But he took, also took wives in chapter 26 of Genesis from the Canaanite women. And, when, and, and just listen and, and put yourself in context. Because I don't want to say this and be misunderstood, which I could be. And that is, in this context and in that day, saying that is a derogatory term. And it's only derogatory in the sense that they weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to get their wives from their family back where Abraham and Sarah came from. And as I said, there are many distant cousins and, and uh, we're still kind of close enough to creation that uh, family marriage could happen. But at Moses, that ceases. And he says, no more of that. God told us to quit because our genetics have gotten uh, uh, too weak for us to be able to handle that. But, the, but especially about, about Esau, when he saw it displeased his father Isaac, he went and got more wives from Canaan. And that's the later group in this chapter. And like I said, we could read all those names, but I'm just telling you, this is how that chapter is arranged. The first wives, oh, you didn't like that? I'll do it more. So he gets more Canaanite wives. Uh, and also the second list is from the concubines, not the, the legal wives. But I told you that... Ishmael would come into play in this chapter and I haven't read that verse but it's verse 3 and, uh, and he's naming these women that he married and Basimoth, Ishmael's daughter the sister of Nebaioth Esau married Ishmael's daughter so this is a cousin on his dad's side, right? Because Ishmael is Isaac's stepbrother. You follow me? And so God, Esau, brings Ishmael and Esau's line together. All people that are known as the Arab peoples come from Ishmael and Esau. But God brings these lines together. Ishmael wasn't as mean, it seems, even though he made some bad choices. Uh, Sarah threw him away because at Isaac's um, weaning party, she caught Ishmael doing something, making fun of him, laughing at him. Oh, you're the heir and I'm not, and you're just this little baby and I'm a big shot and all like that. And Sarah says to Abraham, she's got to go. He's got to go. They're, they're done. I'm not going to have that in my house. I'm not going to have this 17-year-old boy picking on little three-year-old kid, whatever age he was. And so he gets thrown out. But these lists are given because these two men are also under the divine blessing. God promised Abraham and his descendants. In fact, back there in Genesis, after Sarah dies, Abraham married other women and had a bunch more kids. We don't know very much about them, but a lot of the... Listen, if you grew up in church like me and you heard about all the ites, you know, the Hittites and the Havites and the Jerobusites and the first part of that is just the name of a place or a person. So, you know, we'd be Stantonites, all of us. So that tells us the location or if we were all descended from one common ancestor named Jones, I'll say. I'll just throw a, 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 a popular, popular a big name out there, a name that a lot of people have. We'd be Jonites. That's all that means. And then you got Esau has changed to Edom. So the Edomites are descendants of Esau. 
but they're not called Esauites because that's to hard to say. So they use the word Edom, which means the same thing, Edomites. So whenever you see that, just understand that. But these names might change because at one place they have this name, but they move and they can't pronounce the name like that from where they came. So they change it to their language to make it sound better in their language. And so unless you study this hard, like I said, we could go name by name by name by name. by name. It would take hours and hours. I thank God for people who study it and put it in one chapter of one book and you can read about it, okay? And, uh, and find out this general thing. And so what God is doing though and what you need to see here is that God sees every one of them. See, this is really tough for a man, isn't it? I, you, you would just say, I'm not coming back next week. He's going to keep reading all those names and talking about them. Right? It's just like, number one, I don't want to name my kid that. I mean, it's a weird thing to do. And then, and then secondly, so what? Well, that's why I want to give you the so what without going through all as many details. So God brings them back together in verse 3. And both, but both Ishmael and Esau took wives of Canaan and settled outside the promised land. You see, Esau settled in Seir. He did not go into the promised land like he said. And why did these boys go to other places? Because they were like their other great great uncle Lot. They went looking for prosperity instead of God's will. This is why they went to other places. I mean, why that spot? Why did God like that spot? Because it just if you think a certain way and you went over there, you'd go, I don't get what they're fighting over. You know, it's sort of like if you're in West Texas. There's rocks and sand and, you know, East Texas, okay, I get it a little bit. But West Texas, what are you fighting over, man? Just let them have it. You know, it's just hot. And, uh, and I'm joking. If you're from Texas, I'm just joking. Don't beat me up later. I love you. I love Texas. I promise I'm not just saying that. You know, there was a wedding one time in the past that if anybody knows just reason why these two should not get married, let him speak now forever, hold his peace. And nobody said anything for a minute. And the guy in the back jumped up and said, well, nobody else has anything else to say. I'd like to talk about my great state of Texas. So uh, that's, that's kind of a Texas a attitude there. But Ishmael and Isaac are looking for worldly prosperity, just like Lot. Lot looks, ooh, that looks good. That doesn't look good. Hey, you really give me a choice? I'm going that way. You go that way. And God looks at Aaron and goes, I'm going to bless you so big. <laughs> you know, we only see Lot in negative light today. But Abraham is the father of faith. He's the father of nations. He is the father of the faith that we are still saved by. A faith in trusting God for the results. And by the way, the heroes of these stories are not perfect men either, are they? We, we read a lot about where they messed up. But Esau settled in Seir. That's in 36, uh, the chapter we're in in verse 8. Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. That's where the Edomites lived in Seir. And, but Jacob, look at chapter 37, even though we're not going to cover that today. Look at the first verse in chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. Notice that word lived. He could have said, and Jacob settled there. That's what Esau did. It was a settling, but it didn't bring him life. But Jacob lives where God told him to be. It's an implication in our language that God is blessing Jacob living in the harder spot. But I, I say all that 
to come and help you with something else. And that is, that was a secular line. And it's all in there, but it's still like, okay, you've explained. We need to know that, but, but why? There's also a spiritual line, and we have to see these two together. We see Abraham, and in Genesis 17, God meets with Abraham and makes him the promise. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. At one point, he says, it's going to be the sign of the covenant. All the males are circumcised. Abraham gets circumcised at old age to show that he trusted God. And then all of his children uh, were also circumcised. And, and God promises Abraham that he will make him a great nation. But he also says, and through you, what? All the nations will be blessed. Thank you. Exactly. All the nations will be blessed. So you got to catch that. God didn't promise that to necessarily to Esau who bore many nations. He bore a lot of peoples. And they were great. There were eight generations of kings in Esau's line before Israel ever had their first king. Before, before the descendants of Jacob ever sat on a throne and was a king. Esau's kids, man, they became kings quick. In fact, in these, in these lines... You see the people that are born, and then you see the ones that became chiefs. You see just the general population, but you also see the ones who ruled. But Abraham didn't rule anything. Isaac didn't rule anything. Jacob didn't rule anything. The first 12 boys didn't rule anything. They go into captivity for hundreds of years before they come back, and they still haven't ruled anything. God is their ruler, and later... They get their first worldly king. But God also repeated the promise to Isaac in Genesis 26. And then, he, and, uh, and then he repeats it to Jacob in Genesis 32. It's where Jacob wrestles with God. And I won't let you go unless you bless me. And God gives him the same blessing, the same promise. And these men are in a spiritual line. And then Jacob has the 12 boys. And I told you last week what happens. Reuben, in last chapter, he does something that gets him out of being able to inherit his dad's stuff. And that is, he proclaims himself the head of the family in a very ungodly way. And then his two brothers behind him, the next two that coming out of Leah, God's choice for Jacob to marry, those boys had killed a whole town in anger. And they've knocked themselves out of being the inheritors. According to Jacob in Genesis 49. But the fourth kid, Judah. You see, there's this worldly line still exists. And, and Anwar uh, gets off a plane in 1977 to make peace with the descendants. But that's not who we all have to make peace with, is it? We have to make peace with another descendant. Of Jacob's son Judah. And he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus. So God has a spiritual line. He has a secular line. But here's the kingdom of God. God obligated himself to make Edom subject to Israel. That's found in chapter 25. Of chapter 27. Chapter 28. Chapter 35. Over and over and over. God says the older will serve the younger. Esau will serve Jacob, and we see that happening because 
God is rise, raising up. He's shown us how big in chapter uh, 36, how big the kingdom of Esau could be, how many descendants he had, how they're ruling over so much land. But over here, where it looks like everybody's losing, they're just shepherds wandering around in the promised land. And then Joseph goes to Egypt and he rescues the whole family. He's, we're going to get into Joseph next chapter, but Joseph goes to Egypt and, and because of God's blessing, he rescues the whole family who comes there and they grow into this nation. They come back to the promised land and then eventually they do have a king and and the second king they have, God makes a promise to him that his descendants will sit on the throne forever. And we see that today. You see, the implication is God was growing and bringing about a greater, a mightier nation and a mightier king to rule over all other kings. That's why in Revelation, when he comes back, across his, his vestment, across his clothes is written, King of Kings, and on his thigh is written, Lord of Lords. Because all these kings are going to be subject to Christ. And he's got a mightier king, a holy king, not a king of man's choosing, but a king of his choosing that's going to rule over the entire World, And I want you to at least hear these references and write them down. Numbers 24, 17. It speaks of, of this. Let, let, just listen to this verse. I don't know if you ever caught it before. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. This was Balaam's prophecy when he was asked to curse Israel and he blesses them. He prophesied the coming of Jesus. If you were around here Christmas, um, remember I told you that, that, uh, that there is actually a picture of, of a drawing from many years ago and, it was, and it's Balaam and he's pointing at a star because he pointed that Jesus was coming and that he would rule over all these secular nations. Obadiah 21. And I would challenge you to write that down and look it up. But Obadiah is a one-page book. <laughs> so you're going to have a little trouble getting to it quick. But verse 21, I believe, of that, yes, uh, verse 21 of that chapter says this in Obadiah. Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be Yahweh's. Names him by name. That he's going to rule over Esau's kingdom. And then Acts 15, 17, which may be a little more familiar to you. At the beginning of the chapter, we see the first Gentile become a Christian. Become under the umbrella of God's protection that way. Or back in 13, I mean. And 15... It's gotten to where so many non-Jews are getting saved, they're arguing about it. Because there are those who, came, most of them were Jewish, and the old leaders of Judaism said, man, you can't come in unless you first become a Jew. And the Gentiles are going, well, we don't want to become Jews. We want to become Christ followers. And in verse 7, listen uh, to what is said there, at the, or, I'm sorry, 17, at that uh, council. 
They're quoting the scripture. Then the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known of old. He's saying that our salvation is proving Genesis 36. That our salvation is proving all these prophecies. That, and that's just a few of them. I tell you, there's a ton of verses associated. That, that is saying that there's coming a king that is going to rule over all the nations and all the world. Acts 2, I go to that one all the time. Why do the heathen rage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? It says, God has said to his, the Lord has said to, his, to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until all the nations are your footstool. And the Bible tells in Ephesians, Colossians, that God is bringing all things into subjection under Christ unto the church. That we are the people of God today. You see, there's a kingdom of God and it rules over secular kingdoms. There is a king in that kingdom and his name is Jesus. Listen, if Esau had kings coming from him, how much more reasonable is it for us to believe that Jesus Christ will reign until all of creation is redeemed and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. And this is about the kingdom. Verses 24 through 28. The Bible says... Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain he is accepted who put all things into subjection under him. In other words, he won't be subject to himself, but everybody else and everything else is going to be subject to him. And Philippians says that he's been given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question is, whose kingdom are you in? If you want proper English, in whose kingdom are you? <laughs> All right? You see, Jacob's children were in exile in Padamaran. They went into Egypt. They went into slavery in Egypt. After they came back, they messed up, and they went into Babylon. And we come into the New Testament, and there's another dispersion that happens. And Hebrews is written to the Jews in dispersion, to the people of God spread all over yet a remnant returned to the promised land over and over and over and what did we see in nineteen forty eight a remnant returned again and in the years since then if you are of Jewish heritage you can go there for free and become a citizen of that nation. And so they're returning. They're still not the largest nation of Israelites in the world. New York City is. But I think there's more Jewish people in New York City than in Israel. But Jacob's children were exiles and they came back. But hold on a second. That's, that's not the point. Where's the church today? Where's the church located? 
It's in dispersion around the world, waiting on the king to bring us together. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. <clears throat> but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, if you're not proclaiming Christ, then there's no evidence you're in his kingdom. Because he may do us a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his possession, a chosen race, that we might proclaim his glory. We should be proclaiming his glory. We are the chosen today. And we are scattered until the promise that we will come back. Back in chapter 1, 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. He's not talking to Jewish people. Peter... The Jewish guy, Peter, is talking to the church. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than a gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Genesis 36. Big nation, great nations. But there was a greater to come. Israel is to come, and Israel gives us Jesus today. There's a remnant of Edom being reconciled to his brother and has become a member of Christ's kingdom. Amos 9 talks about this. Acts talks about this. But Revelation 7, 9, we've been saying this verse over and over and over and over and training to sin. And I saw before the throne a great multitude that couldn't be counted for the number. And someone from every tribe and every nation and every tongue was giving glory and honor and praise to the Lamb on the throne. It will be fulfilled. It will happen. But it's our job to make sure it does. We're not alone. The Holy Spirit has empowered us to do it. But if we're not doing it, one of two things is right. Either we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit because we're not saved, or we are being disobedient 
to its call. Because that's what Genesis 36 is all about. It's to point to Jesus. A greater king, a greater kingdom. So, I would encourage you today, first of all, evaluate your life and your daily choices in light of eternity. Will it matter if you make more money? Will it matter if you buy a new thing? Those things are necessary. They happen all the time. They're just part of living. I get that. But what will you do today that tonight you can thank God that he allowed you to have the opportunity to do because it had eternal significant consequences? I'm not saying doing those things might not have that because God in his sovereign, sovereignty and his love can put you in a place where he can use you as you just go about your daily business. And you ought to be looking for that. But you ought to go about your daily life with eternity in mind. Because eternity's coming. And there's only one king's going to reign there. And it's not Esau, by the way. Secondly, God keeps his promises even when we do not. Everything he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he did. Everything he promised to Esau... And, and, uh, and Ishmael and their descendants, God did. But because they stepped so far out of line and never acknowledged him, they quit acknowledging God, the God they knew, they did not inherit. But God keeps his promises. The Bible says that he is faithful even we, and we are faithless because he cannot deny himself. So if you're in his will and you know him and you get out, God will still keep his promises. By the way, though, just as a counterbalance to that, understand Hebrews 12 says, but he'll whoop you like a daddy whips his kid. Now that's the Stuart version. It says you're not a son if God doesn't correct you in your sin. You don't even belong to him. Sure, sin, you're not my kid. I mean, every once in a while I might call down a stranger's kid if he's about to tear something up or get hurt, but not my kid. Not my monkey, not my circus. Right? God will leave you alone. If you don't belong to him. And so you need to evaluate where you are in light of eternity. And know that though. If you're plugging along and things seem rough. God's going to keep his promise. There's coming a day. I, I was just this morning read in there. Never caught it before. It says when they were preaching there in Acts. And, and as Paul is preaching. He says that you come into the kingdom through tribulation. We don't understand that here. Because we don't have it so much. Thirdly, are you living a kingdom life? That's what I've been saying. Are you living a kingdom life? Are you just living a life getting by till you die? There was a song written back in the 70s, and one little chorus part of it said, there's more to living than just standing around waiting to die. And so many people are just that way. Some people are dead, and they just had not had the decency to lay down yet. But that's not the life God called us to. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it abundantly. And that's not prosperity physically in this world. Esau, Lot, Ishmael, they sought that. But Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in Hebrews it says, Abraham was content to live in tents waiting for God's promise. He had the wealth. He could have bought, he could have bought a city probably. He could have been a big shot somewhere. But he was content to dwell in tents waiting for the city whose builder and maker is God. And so are you living for this world or are you living for the kingdom that is with the church now but is yet to come? 
You see, everybody that comes into that kingdom comes through Jesus. Jew, Arab, Gentile. We all have to come through Jesus. And Revelation 7, 9 says a bunch of us will. And so I pray that you'll be in that, in that company. Lord God, this chapter, just as we read through your word, it looks like a list of names. And we, we don't put it back in that context of this is Jacob's twin brother. This is the one who sold away what could have been his. We, we understand your will that you put in, that you said that you had chosen Jacob before the two were born. You had already chosen that, that action. But Esau could have still followed you faithfully. Esau could have still lived where you promised his father would be his to live in. But he went out in utter rebellion and Ishmael went out in rebellion. Lord, may we not go out in rebellion when you're calling us to yourself. But may we seek you. May we seek not your will, just your will, but may we seek you and in finding you and in being close to you that we will do your will, that we would understand your will. Lord, you've called us to be a witness. You've called us to proclaim the excellencies of this kingdom. We sometimes proclaim the excellencies of our church. We proclaim the excellencies of, of your blessings, but we don't talk about how excellent you are. For the greatest thing you've given us is salvation and the knowledge that there's coming a day when that which we see by faith will be seen with our eyes. And we are content to live in these earthly suits for a time awaiting our final redemption and Lord even those that are in heaven with, with you are still awaiting the final redemption they, they can see it now they don't have to look with eyes of faith they can see it with physical eyes now in heaven that there's coming a day but even in heaven we find them praying how long O oh Lord how long and that you, you tell us in the word that creation groans under the strain of the sin that was brought into it awaiting the redemption and so Lord there might be individuals here today that have not yet been redeemed they've not yet been put on that path they not yet have opened their heart their life their mind to say yes to you Jesus for you are the king you are Lord there's none but you there's none greater than you you're the king of all kings you're the Lord of all lords and when we are in you we know your will will be done your promises will be kept and we will be made holy and right, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation to proclaim the excellencies of the one who is the king of that nation. So, Lord, may we always point to you. And, Lord, we just pray if there's anyone here now that doesn't know you, that just in this moment, that they would open their heart and their life to you and say, I want you, I, I want you to save me. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. I want to live for your kingdom. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I wonder, is there anybody here in need of Jesus as Savior? Nobody's looking around but me. I, I've rarely ever done this. But if you are in need to know Jesus as your Savior, would you just put your hand up and back down just real quick so I can see it? You, you're just not sure that Jesus is your Lord, your Savior, but you want to be sure. Well, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything past this. 
You've been around long enough, you know some guys try to trick you into doing more. I'm not going to ask you to do more except come talk to me. Okay? But if you'll slip your hand up and back down so I can see it. If you did, I didn't see it. So come talk to me. All right? If that's a need in your life, please come talk to me. Pastor Bobby's here. Talk to Pastor Bobby. If we, we will help you the best we can. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you this chapter points to the greatness of your kingdom. And I pray, God, that we would serve that kingdom, knowing that, that they, these others are a picture of what's to come. They, they were exiles. They were strangers. They were aliens in a foreign land, which is this world to us. But there is a greater world coming. There's a greater kingdom coming. And we want to be a part of that kingdom. To the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.